Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You're listening to This Little Light, a podcast about falling in love with music, hosted by me, Flea, and produced by Cadence 13 and Parallel. Today's guest is one of my favorite people on the planet, and I'm so lucky to do this podcast with people that I genuinely love and care about. And um, we're doing it today with Thundercat. I always had this mindset. I've always wanted to lend myself to whatever the music was and get out of the way, you know, and whatever I would take to it, fully be there. Don't separate from it. Don't, like, all of a sudden, you know, get cold feet. I would give myself to the music and wherever I was at. The dude is an absolute virtuoso, has a completely unique take on the world, on culture. His relationship to the world is unlike anyone else's that I've ever met. He's a beautiful guy, always changing, moving, growing, learning. Just my kind of person. I really love the guy. He's a bass player. He's a singer. He's a songwriter. He's a producer. He's a fashionista. He's an absolute badass. He'll kick your ass for nothing. And, um, you know, we've spent a lot of time together on the road and as friends. And, uh, you know, I admire him. I admire him very much. He started, you know, when he was a kid, he and Kamasi Washington, the great jazz saxophonist, worked together since they were little kids, studying with their parents, and and they made a record called The Young Jazz Giants, or under the name The Young Jazz Giants. Um, He's had all kinds of wacky things, you know, from playing with a boy band to playing with suicidal tendencies, you know, talk about a little uh, bridging a cultural gap. He and Flying Lotus have had a a long-term relationship. To Pimp a Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar, he's all over. And in a world that is often very divorced, except in the most self-conscious and transparently fake ways, often divorced from popular culture because of the virtuosic and esoteric nature of the music, jazz is rarely coincides with popular culture. But he's a guy that is so organically connected to both worlds. You know, like he just toured with the Chili Peppers for We just spent six months on the road together, and he's playing stadiums every night, playing completely out jazz fusion music, and getting, you know, 50,000 people in a stadium straight rocking by enthusiasm and spirit and opening their minds and hearts to a music that they would never hear otherwise. And that's very inspiring to me. You know, in this conversation, we talk about how he got turned on to music. Music deeply entrenched in his family. His brother's an incredible drummer. His father is a musician. And I kind of envy the education he got when he was a kid because his mentors were his father, Kamasi Washington's father, and they put these kids to work in the most beautiful way. They were learning this like profoundly sophisticated, spiritually, emotionally, cerebrally evolved music from a young age from their parents. And um, it's just so cool. And, um, you know, through his friends, like, you know, like Kamasi, like Flying Lotus, 
through encouragement and love from his family and from his friends, he grew into the person he is today. And um, I anticipate him always being different and growing and doing something new. So great to speak with him today. Here's Thundercat. So today we have Stephen Bruner, known as Thundercat. Do you prefer just to be called Thundercat? My mom calls me Stephen. My mom called me Michael. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My dad just goes, well, son. Steven, Steven, I, I don't ever, I don't ever reference you. Know. Yeah, yeah. So, but speaking of your dad, you know, the idea of this podcast is specifically, you know, this podcast is to, for my music school. So it's, it's always, from the beginning, it was an idea to raise money for my music school. Yeah. So it's all about music education. Oh, okay. And each musician that I speak to has such a different thing. Yeah, yeah, Like I'll yeah. talk to a rapper or I'll talk to a classical violinist yeah, or I'll yeah, talk yeah. to... Everyone's some some someone's thing is completely academic. Someone's thing is completely just like what they picked up. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Yeah. But I know that you, you know, you grew up in a musical household from the get. Yeah. And so I guess my first question is to you, and I know your father is a musician, and I know your mother's a musician. Mm-hmm. What is the very first memory that you can conjure up of being conscious of music and what it was and what it meant and how it made you feel? There's one, one specific one that comes to mind. Or one is like, it hit me as soon as you, as soon as you started talking about it. It was my, me and my brother with the Billy Cobham Total Eclipse album and my dad's record player that he, we were not allowed to touch. And it was, you know, again, there's for, for all reasons known that a child is not supposed to touch a record player, you know, (laughs) there's no. There's no yeah. mystery in why you don't let your kids touch a record player. And not a real good one, too. You They'll know? be jumping up on a turntable, spinning oh around gosh. in circles. <laughs> oh, my yeah. gosh. You're, like, trying to figure out how to, like, put other things on top of their putting coins and toys and making them spin around and fight. My dad literally was like, do not touch the record player. And I remember when he would leave, of course we touched the record player, you know. It's yeah. like, that was back when hip-hop was popping and... and you know, it's like scratching and sampling. No, but we would take, it was two records. It was Billy Cobb and Total Eclipse and George Duke's uh, Faces and Reflections. And my older brother, my older brother was the kind of guy that would be like, rather ask for forgiveness as compared to permission. So they'd walk away and here he go, he go run and grab Billy Cobb's uh, Total Eclipse album. And he put the album on and he would sit there and, he, you know, beat on a pillow. You had to do it. Oh, yeah. And, of course, me, it would be like Ren and Stimpy. So, like, <laughs> like one of us was smart, the other one how, eats. How old are you guys at this point? What, what was that? That had to be, it had to be between the age of five and seven and eight, between that age range. Hmm. You know, we would be silly, but we knew that that was my dad's records that he loved. And so Ronald would put on Totally Clips, and then me built, like, uh, you know, Stimpy. I'm covered in cat hair and weird lint from underneath the couch. I go over there and start messing with the record, and he'd laugh. You yeah. know, I start scratching. <laughs> you know, and your dad walks in on you scratching. The, he did. He walked you know, in. Of course. You know, <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? You know, it's just like, oh crap. You know, but that's still again that that album is burned in my memory. That mm. faces in reflection because that was the beginnings of it. You mm. know. And there was other there was other albums and all this stuff in the so house. It's like like the beginning of you felt like you were interacting with the music yeah. and yeah. had a like I'm part of this. Yeah, 
Yeah, it was the uh-huh. touching the record and uh-huh. being like, oh, yeah. knowing what song you wanted to hear. Yeah. You know, you scratch and jack the record up looking for the song. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, you sit up here looking for, you know, Total Eclipse. You know, yeah. That's the, what's the one? What's the one that starts out with the do, do, did you see your dad play you go to his gigs that was watch the other practice like, that was the other one i have very distinct memories of like you know like um going to gigs with my dad and he would be playing all all kinds of different places there was like when pasadena had baked potato and lake cafe and different spots in la and um I remember, like, there would be times where, like, you know, by the end of the night, you know, they're breaking the drums down, but I have all the drum cases stacked up in a corner somewhere. And I think I would get in trouble for this sometimes because what I would do, I would go and fall asleep in the bass drum case mm-hmm. when I got too loud or when I got too mm-hmm. tired. You knew it was I your would, spot. Yeah, I would just go hide in the bass drum case. Uh-huh. And it'd take them a minute to find me because they'd yeah. be like, uh, you know, like, yeah, you lost guys my child. child in danger. <laughs> 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 Hanging out at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning trying to pack the drums up. Yeah. And I'm either asleep in the bass drum or I'm asleep in the, you know, my dad would add, you know, he'd be like, oh, he's asleep. He's in the bass drum. Yeah. No, don't worry about it. Yeah. And I remember that. I yeah, remember that that's now. so cool. And what about, like, when you would see him play or see him play with other musicians, did you feel, like, I mean, how old were you when you think you kind of, you put it together, like, oh, the bass makes this sound, the drums make this sound, this guy, the saxophone makes this sound, mm. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and how they, you know, I mean... Obviously, when you're little, you're not like, oh, it's rhythm, harmony, melody. Yeah. But like, how old, like, when do you think you started like thinking like that, like kind of putting that together? That didn't happen. That didn't happen until I started actually playing with other instruments. Mm. I would understand, there would be part of me that would understand the concept of the instruments, but I didn't have an understanding of it until I met Reggie Andrews. Right. And that's when I joined multi-school when I was around. 10 or 11, maybe, maybe. 30. And did your dad never teach you? Well, he did. I would watch him play. He would play with yeah. Ron Brown. He'd have, you know, yeah. he'd have his friends come play with him. Anybody from Andrew Woolfolk from mm-hmm. Earth, Wind & Fire to Star Parodi that played mm-hmm. keys on the, 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 mm-hmm. the uh, Arsenio Hall show mm-hmm. or like my Uncle Gerald Brown. He, you know, he would encourage me. Like Uncle Gerald would kind of let me play around with his bass as he, after he had it plugged up before they mm-hmm. start rehearsing. And his bass was so cool because he had like a, it was a Ken Smith bass and he yeah. had light up frets. Uh-huh. So I was, you know, I was, I was gone. I was like, light up. I didn't know what. I was like, yeah, don't. Ooh. yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got an Olympic that does that and I still do it. Woo woo. Yeah. 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 Like this light up red frets. Yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, this must be the, yeah. this is the best instrument on stage. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I didn't put these things together until my dad started making me get with Reggie Andrews. Yeah. Because we, like me and uh, me, Ronald and Kamasi and Cameron had the Young Jazz Giants, but that was yeah. like, that was a result of going to Mr. Andrews' yeah. rehearsals and then us being like, well, what can we do when we're not doing this? Yeah. Our dads was like, you guys go hang out at Ricky Washington's house. Right. It's so cool that you had that. Like, because I think about, I just can't help but compare it to my own experience when you're talking, because I grew up around jazz. Yeah. Like when my mom remarried a jazz musician when I was like seven, six, mm. something like that. And all the time, bebop in the living room. Yeah. Those guys blowing. And like me being a kid, like having all the like emotional reaction and yeah. like the, in being enthralled. But Connected no one ever to... said, here's a guy, go learn. Yeah. So I never, and then when I, you know what I mean? I never had that. You're so lucky you had that with Reggie Andrews. I didn't realize that. I kid you not. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure. You never I didn't do. realize that, man. Even in my 20s, up until my like 
early 30s mm. where I didn't I didn't realize that we grew up very specific. I didn't realize that. I thought that everybody grew up like that in L.A. I thought that all my friends, because anytime we would get with our friends, they would kind of be like, oh, yeah, I'm about to play a whole bunch of, sh like, I mean, you play a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Oh, you're about to play a bunch of stuff. Oh, okay, here we go. And I didn't, I always thought that they just, I was like, you can do this. But yeah. I didn't realize, again, growing up with Kamasi, Ronald and Cameron, yeah. and Terrace and Reggie Andrews and our, and our fathers and everybody, mm -hmm. like, high level yeah they were pushing it in us they yeah. were pushing all of that in us yeah you know so beautiful i mean reggie andrews is a legendary teacher mentor wealth of knowledge that like i mean just the names that you're talking about so many kids so many yeah. kids were touched by you want to talk on him a little bit or oh man reggie was literally like a second father for mm -hmm. me my dad literally left us with him like hey Mm -hmm. You know, like this was this was also the disciplinarian in, in the house, you know, so yeah, to yeah. speak. You know, it was like we we would spend the majority of our days with Reggie. Mm. Like he would pick us up at six o'clock in the morning and mm -hmm. wouldn't drop us off till around nine, ten p.m. Mm -hmm. But he was he was running like the music program at Lock High as oh, yeah. well, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. For for many years, he had he had a band called Msinji. It was like always an acronym, and mm -hmm. I forgot what Msinji stood for. Mm -hmm. And then he had uh. Multi-school jazz band, mm -hmm. MSJB. And marching band too, right? Yes, and the marching band. It was almost like he would have a pedigree of musician that would come from him. Right. And in an interesting way, like even to the years where my generation of students and maybe a couple more were the last that yeah. he would, you know, because later on Locke, there was a whole thing at Locke where they kind of were pushing the different teachers Is he out. at Locke in the 70s? Yes. Yeah, because, you know, when I, I played a marching band at Fairfax High. Yeah, yeah. On Hollywood High, sometimes they'd, like, farm me out. Yeah. But I remember it's like we would go, like, show up to the Santa Claus Lane Parade or yeah. whatever, and it was just like, oh, we're doing our kind of corny shit, you know? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then Locke would come, and it was just like, get out of the way. Like, they, I mean, they wanted every year. Every year they were the best marching band in california every Mr. year and there was a you know mr andrews was something special yeah and if you got a chance to experience anything of his teaching yeah you it's it's it stained you mm. it stained you it stayed with you yeah and uh it was hard to see him go you yeah. know of course and um but like all of my earliest memories of anything from even yeah. like la like my academic experience my life experience it was all between Reggie Andrews, my father, Carl Graves, and Ricky Washington. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, Kamasi's father. Mm -hmm. And um, it was always kind of like we were just in and, always in and around it. Yeah. Always in and around it. My parents, I remember there was one of these moments where, because Ronald, Ronald was so much more rambunctious than me growing up, because he's like, you know, he's a, a monster of a musician too. Yeah. And we would play music together, but also we would always be hanging out together. Mm -hmm. So these were my, these were, you know what I mean? Like there was no like, yeah. and now these are my friends that do this. It was like, no, we are going to the movies. Yeah. And after we go to the movies, we're going to go hang out at Amoeba. And then we got a gig later on tonight. And if y'all want to hang out, y'all can spend the night. Then go get some burritos after we play. Yeah. Do the same thing again tomorrow. Look yeah. for something to do. You yeah. Know? That was just our, that was our yeah. childhood. It yeah. was just like, I was there, we were there when Kamasi got his first car. This little yeah. musty Mustang, you yeah. know. And we all had to pile in the Mustang with yeah. like all of Ronald's. Ronald's had like Terry Bazio level drums since he was like 10. Right. And so we would have like a 20 piece drum set 
a SWR, a, a redhead with like an extra yeah. two tin cap, and we'd have to like pretzel in the car because it was a hatchback. Yeah, it was a hatchback like the, from the seventies yeah. or something. It was just oh, I'd be yeah. sitting back here in the window with all the amps and stuff. Yeah. And Kamasi would be like, "You okay, Stephen?" I'm holding the back door closed. Just don't hit any speed bumps. <laughs> and we go set up at some gig. Luckily, no one was playing upright. Oh, I was. Oh, you were playing upright. I was. Did you start on upright? In a way, yeah. Mm-hmm. In a way, I um the first instrument I picked up was electric, but it was like I um I studied upright at, at Colburn. Mm, wow, and okay. um yeah, Colburn when it was right by USC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um David, his his name was David Young, I think, was my teacher. Mm-hmm. And he taught me everything from German to French bow wow. to reading. You still play upright a lot? I I can. That's one mm-hmm. of the reasons why it's like, that's why my hands always look so wide because yeah. it's, it's forever stuck there from yeah. how I uh, began playing. Yeah. Yeah. That was like, that was my formative, like, you know, and I would, every day after school, yeah, I would go across the street from 32nd Street. I'd go walk over to Colburn uh-huh. and you know, I'd be sitting there waiting. And he'd be like, all right. Did yeah. You, did you practice? Was it, was it mostly, did you, did you study, so you were studying classical stuff mostly then? Mostly classical there. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so I would have a little bit of classical training there. Uh-huh. Did you play in a big orchestra? No, no. This was just personal. He would give me like, Books to, you know, work through, mm-hmm. little fundamental books to work through and teaching me the bowing and everything and intonation. Yeah. And then I would go to Lock High School from 32nd Street, USC, when it was a magnet. Yeah. Then I would go to Lock High School. Yeah. And here you go, pull out Bacchafillin or pull out Egyptian, the Egyptian or pull out, you know, like, you know, everything that you could think of. Yeah. You know, Mr. Andrews's old tunes or like, you know, and it was kind of like that. And so like, my whole growing up was, it was like saturated with functional playing. And learning. Being, yeah, being out here playing. It was like the best learning experience because you sucked until you would get better. Yeah. And you could it, you could hear, it was like flat out. It was like yeah. people be looking at you in your face and you'd be yeah. like. No hiding. Yeah, it's like, like oh, they're kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. When we're back, Thundercat relives his globetrotting escapades as part of the boy band No Curfew and talks about forging his telepathic connection with his longtime friend and collaborator, Flying Lotus. Say you're 10 years old, right? You go over to Mr. Andrews to play. Yeah. With Kamasi, with your brother, with all these musicians. And um, what would you guys work on? Was it like, um, do you guys have different elements of it? Was it always kind of the same? Was it like, okay, we're just going to work on theory and understand how these chords work together and how you could play a melody line through this series of chords or like that? I mean, was it always different? What was it like? This is the part that I really, this is when I realized that it was different. Yeah. This when I would have realized it was different. So you would have multi-school jazz bands and we sit and learn tunes. Mr. Andrews, when I was in, when I was in class, uh, you know, one thing Mr. Andrews would do, for uh, he would make me transcribe eight bars of a solo once a week, or it was either once a month or once a week. He was like, it wouldn't matter if it was Jocko, whoever it was. He was like, yeah, I want eight bars by the end of, we had, I had that. And then when we would play, we would go do gigs on our own. We would, you know, do standards sometimes. But Kamasi was writing tunes for us to play. Wow, back then. Yes. How are you guys right and same in age? only off by a couple years couple years yeah mm-hmm. so like uh um he's a, i think he's the same age as my brother mm-hmm. and cameron was maybe the same age as my brother me and taylor graves are the mm-hmm. same age or one year apart mm-hmm. 
And we would be playing standards. You know, we play some stuff. Mr. PC would play something cool. And then Kamasi would be like, man, I wrote this tune. Because he would go home and his dad would be like, I want you to learn a tune a day. This would, now, this is Kamasi. Pops would be like, hey, man, pick a tune, learn the melody, learn to read the melody, learn the changes, and then learn the solo through it. Right. And I'm going to come check on you. Right. He would do that to us. Right. So he'd be like, man, I don't hear y'all playing. Right. So we'd be like, oh, man. So then after that, Kamasi, Kamasi could have been a physicist. Yeah. That's how, like, the, his grade, his GPA. I, well, I, yeah, I mean, I can tell being around, when I'm around him, his, his I mean, both you guys are, you know, the, your minds work uh, well. But Kamasi, <laughs> Kamasi. Yeah. Like, when I, like, I mean it. He could have been a physicist. Yeah. The way he would break things down musically, the the amount of time he would spend engulfed in, he would be writing. He would just be writing. And I remember at one point we were kids and he had a book of tunes bigger than the real book and the fake book. <laughs> I'm not lying. Whoa. Like, uh, think about it. He was on it. Yeah. Like when I say yeah. bass lines and everything, he'd be like, yeah. here's a bass chart. Here's a little mock chord chart. Yeah. And it's the melody. So if like Ryan Porter wanted to play Man. or if Terrace wanted to play, he'd be like, here's what the melody I'm playing. And you can, maybe you can harmonize with me. He was doing this every week and had, we had a, he had a book this thick of just ideas and we could just pull from it. We'd be like, we could play, we want to learn new, uh, something. he'd play it on the, like, he, was it a Triton? Mm -hmm. The cork Triton, and you could record and synthesize and stuff. And so he'd play it on the, he played, like, you get the idea. Yeah. Like, oh, we get the idea and then we would just get to swinging. Yeah. Practice the tune for a few hours and then go play it at a show. Right. Oh, that tune was fun. Let's play it again tomorrow. Yeah. Okay, let's play it again tomorrow. We play it again tomorrow and then we got a gig at the world stage on Friday. Yeah. By the time we played at the world stage, we'd have been played about four or five times throughout the week. So we bashing the tune by the yeah. end of the week. And I didn't realize that that wasn't normal. I didn't realize that. I thought that was like, man, Kamasi be writing tunes. And so we, you know, and we did our first album when we were kids. Wow. What album is that? The Young Jazz Giants. Man, God, I don't know that album. And is it, is it all tunes that Kamasi wrote? It's, uh, I think we covered Giant Steps, but it's all original uh -huh. tunes from all of us. Yeah, you said Giant Steps. How old are you recording Giant Steps? Had to be 15, 14, 15, uh -huh. something like that. So deep, dude. <laughs> Is there, like, the way that you are able to communicate with Kamasi when you guys are playing without yeah. talking and, you know, kind of reacting to one another? Is there any other musician on earth that you feel like you can um, communicate telepathically, musically with as profoundly as Kamasi? Flying Lotus. Flying Lotus. I always make this joke. It's always just like, it's like nobody would believe that. We've, it's like we have ESP. Like we're always in tune. Yeah. Was there, was there ever a time, because one thing like for me, I don't know if you had this at all, like growing up in a jazz household and I, I, I rebelled against it. And like I never learned anything about music. Yeah. It was like I didn't have it, never had a teacher. I got my friends and it was like, okay, punk rock. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But was there, and I envy that so much. Like it's so beautiful. I don't, envy is not the right word. But I'm so that you had that all those teachers around is so beautiful. But, but just my question is to you because when I was a kid and like my stepdad and his people, they're like everything that wasn't jazz or you know really evolved classical music, whatever, like any youth culture, rock music, yeah, you know, they, garbage. Yeah, it was just off like with it. for yeah. stupid people, yeah, for dumb people, for sheep who get told what to like. As it goes, as it goes. Do you have that too at all? Or like that jazz elitism, I guess is oh, the word for, for it, you know, sure. Uh -huh. For sure. Even in, yeah. I still would get harassed about playing upright. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, so, so for me, 
So you about from the other side, like from the... Yeah, oh, yeah. No, like, watch this. So, you know, Jocko hit me early on. Yeah. You know, Jocko hit me early on. Like, I think, yeah, around the age of 10. I mm -hmm. was like, punk jazz. Whoa. I was yeah. like, whoa. You know? Yeah. I was like, Jocko is the future of what this is. It yeah. was like, sped up. It was like, faster. It was like, everything and more. Yeah. You know? And I would get picked on for playing electric all the time. Mm. Like, no matter, it'd be like, Oh, by the jazz guys. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Man, you ain't really playing jazz. You ain't playing upright. And it'd yeah. be like, I'd be like, how does that supposed, I mean, how is that supposed yeah. to hold up? I was like, I'm like, where are you at with this? Because I'm, here we go. I'm looking at it like the time. I'm looking at it, the, looking at the overall time span. I'm like, yeah. of course I can put on a suit and play upright, you know? But I'm yeah. like, what are you looking for? And like, you're looking for it to sound like. Like, we, does it not count unless you're like playing with yeah. Winston Marsalis with an upright? Yeah. yeah. And I was like, you know, here's the thing. I'm like, no, nah, because it's like, that's not where it left off. And my dad, my, my dad was a huge Miles fan. Mm -hmm. Huge. Like, if my dad was to have a tattoo, yeah. it would be a Miles Davis. Yeah. It would be Miles Davis. Yeah. And so, wherever I was with my dad, we would talk about Jimmy, Cream, and Miles Davis. Mm -hmm. And he would, when I say he would go in on the importance of what Miles did, and I'd be sitting there, I'd be like, you know, your dad talking, he'd be like, shut up, dad. Yeah. But he would be going on about it, Jack DeJanette, and he'd be like, nah, man. He'd be like, see, this is where this is supposed to be going. This is where it's supposed to be going. Like, you know, what, what, what this was. And so my dad was really, like, fundamental in getting me to understand, take it to the future. Yeah. Take it to where it's going. Don't keep it in the place that it is. Yeah. And that, that, that happened for me at a young age where I was just like, there's so many more notes you can play. There's so much more harmony you could add to things. There's so much more when it's just even just a little bit more accessible, yeah. you know? And why wouldn't we, like, stab in that direction? Yeah. So I used to get harassed about electric to upright all the time. I still, even with my bass, it's like, that ain't a bass, that's a guitar, or six strings. And it's like, well, if you understood what I did with this, yeah. it's always going to be that for somebody, though, you know? It's always threatening. Anything good is. Yeah. I was, yeah. this morning, I was looking at this thing, uh, David Bowie talking, I really like David Bowie. And he was talking about um, how, as an artist, as a musician, if as soon as you're comfortable, yeah, and you're just like, okay, I can do this, it works, and I make a living doing it, or whatever it is, you're just you're not, you're fucked. Yeah, like you're just gonna not start doing good work as soon as you just sit where you're comfortable. Yeah, that doesn't mean. I mean, I know a lot of great musicians are comfortable and they get older and they're doing something that works and it can be beautiful and you go to see them. But it's like that thing of like when you're in the water and you're feet are a little bit off the ground so you don't quite you know i can't touch the ground so yeah. i don't know is that am i gonna be okay am i gonna get swept away is it safe yeah like having you that you should always he was saying basically he used that metaphor that you should always have that element of i don't I'm not sure yeah. if i can do this yeah you know what i mean because then you're always reaching and striving oh you know yeah which is cool and it kind of seems like what your dad's talking about too in a different way yeah like pushing forward into new areas and new ways I mean, because what you're doing with your, you know, with all those strings on that bass is so beautiful and so sophisticated, like rhythmically, harmonically, in all these ways. I mean, as you know, I watch you, every, like we just toured together in five months. I watch hey. that shit every night. Hey. And it's so intense. But one thing that I was struck by, too, is we've had like, you know, fusion-y jazz kind of things mm. play with us Chili Peppers before. And for anyone who doesn't know on this podcast, we just toured together for like two months in Europe, two months in the States, yeah. played a lot of shows. That was fun. And big ass stadiums, yeah, right? That's cool. And so it's mostly, it's like a rock audience. Same yeah. with Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, you yeah. know? <laughs> the point is that like, I think 
people are underestimated in their willingness to want to go into deep, into something mm. sophisticated and wild yeah. and imaginative and different. Yeah. They want it. And you're up there vulnerable as hell from all these people just shredding, throwing the fuck down. And they're like, I watched them. I watched them every night. And they're just like in awe. Man, it was fun, man. It was it was cool, man. Yeah, I totally did. fun. Yeah, it was like it was there would be moments where it's like, you know, I I get on the internet sometimes, you know, I get on there to talk some trash. Yeah. And so I'll go look, you know, see, see if somebody said something. You know, yeah. Like, somebody'd be like, I hated it. You suck. <laughs> <laughs> and it would be I'd be like, Oh, there's there's that there's that guy. He didn't yeah. like it. <laughs> yeah. You know, but then it was like it would be the moment when I would look out and there would be this kid with his yeah. dad. Yeah. And the kid just turning up because you know he's like he knows about them changes and the dad's like okay this is this is the guy this is the guy my son this is what he's talking about and so you're sitting there like this and you see kind of you know a couple yeah couple like okay all right all right you know and yeah. then there's the guys that would get it you yeah. know and it would be like again thank you for having me oh, out with please you. thank you for Seriously. coming it was so fun i hope we do it more yeah 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 so anyways going back into your musical education you work with your your guys with Ricky Washington and Reggie Andrews and Kamasi and your brother and all your people. And then you start like going off into the world. Like, would you say, is there any part that we're missing of your music education up to that point? Like up to where you start like going working professionally, which you're doing when you're like 15, right? I mean, oh, yeah, we used to play at Laker games. Oh, uh, uh, you did? We used at to the, be the band. The, like, not the Laker band, the Laker band? Yeah, like, well, you up know, like the... Yeah, those you guys. Yeah, and then we play like when they have <laughs> halftime, we play like "Stolen Moments" by Oliver Nelson or something. Uh -huh. Like it's halftime. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and we play for a little bit, and then when the, when the game would come back on, you know, we play the. Doo, uh -huh. doo, 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 doo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was I was there. Yeah, <laughs> this one, this is when Eddie Jones was on the Lakers. I loved Eddie Jones. Yeah, <laughs> See, yeah, back yeah. back then. You know, yeah, like, yeah. So. You're playing Laker games, you're studying jazz, you're studying Colburn, playing upright, you're studying with Ricky Washington and, 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 and uh, Reggie Andrews. And then you, you, is that like, when does the boy band come in? Oh my God. And like, how does that work? Because that's a whole nother kind of education. That's like, okay, you're for sale. That was like, that was like <laughs> South Park. That was my South Park moment in life. That was definitely like a... Cause it was great. Uh, it was like, uh, yeah. my parents were like, you know, here's the thing. There's an age where it's kind of like, uh, I guess for lack of a better explanation, it's like you do everything. Yeah. You do, you, 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 oh, they're doing, you're doing, you know, we're doing a band. Okay. We got a band. We're going to try to do it, do it. Yeah. Anything that's going to get you playing, you do it. Yeah. And this was uh, around the age of about 13, 14, 15. And somebody that had reached out to my dad about these guy that was uh, forming a band. They were looking for a young boy, a uh, kid band. Right. Wasn't that, we didn't have, boy band, we didn't, you know, have any prior yeah. knowledge of that until after, you know, like when you get yeah, older, yeah. you realize, oh God, we were a boy the band. Jacksons? Like what? Yeah, yeah they, were, <laughs> you, they were the Jacksons until you realized they were a boy band. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, hey, those are little kids. That was a boy band. Yeah. Um. So they're like, you know, looking for musicians. Yeah. You know, uh, looking for some good, good playing musicians to audition for a band, possible travel. Yeah. going to Germany, Paycheck. going to Europe. Yeah, it was like, you know, yeah. experience touring and stuff, you know. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. My dad, you know, goes, yeah, let's go, let's go audition. We would go to audition, you know, and it's kind of like, guys, like, clearly this is, you have this, this is, yeah. you're, in the, you're in the band. And 
it was like this kid named Akimasa Nihongi, Japanese kid, uh, Ryan Black on drums, and then Brandon Liggertwood, who was the son of uh, uh, Alex Liggertwood, who, who sang with Carlos Santana and uh, uh, David Sanchez. Mm-hmm. And literally, like, uh, you know, we it was like, you know, they'd start doing the thing we get you with production team in New York. I guess we're going to make some tunes. But I'm like, I had grown up in the practice of writing tunes with Kamasi. So anytime we get in the studio, I'd be like, yeah, let's write. And he'd be like, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're going to do your role here, buddy. Yeah. yeah. yeah he's like a 14 year old kid. He's like, yeah. what do you know You're about writing? Do punk jazz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's, do, let's make some tunes, man. Yeah. I'm not knowing that this is the part where royalties and who's getting paid by this. I'm getting paid to do this. So you right. just shut up and I'll write the bass. Yeah, line. yeah, yeah. But uh, that was my first time traveling to Europe. That was my first time traveling to New York on my own. I, my parents let me go to New York. And I remember we recorded a bit of the album out in New York. And we went to Germany and performed in Cologne and Berlin, I think. Yeah. And it was a, a festival called Popcom in Cologne. And anytime I bring up Popcom, because yeah. it's so specific in Germany, it's uh-huh. like, you played at Popcom. It was like, <laughs> it was like that's like bubblegum boy band. Yeah. It's like, it's like, yeah. Oh my God. I didn't realize. No, when you told me about that, I was, I was like, wow, what a trip. But it's, it's so cool. Like, I know that like, for me at that age, yeah. if I would've got that opportunity, it would've been like, I won the fucking lottery. Oh my gosh. I was shit. like, oh my God, like, girls. I'm, they're gonna, I'm so important. They have to get me a plane ticket. Like I'm going like I'm a celebrity. I'm, I, you know, I'm, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did they put you in first class? Oh, of course not. Oh, uh, shit. I think we all we all rode on the wing of the plane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like luggage. one of us in the luggage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kimasa and a little dog. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but we get you know it was like it was visceral. Yeah. It was like you know, and I mean for me, I was used to playing. Yeah. So there's a part of it where it was like I got a joy out of like. I would look over at my friends and just be like, hey, guys, we're on stage. You know, I'd be like, woo! Yeah, yeah. I remember being in the band. It was just like, you just know your, your band with your friends. Yeah. You know, like me and Ryan, were, or the yeah. drummer, would always be joking, getting in trouble for not taking anything serious. Yeah. Kimasai didn't barely spoke any English. And yeah. so he'd be like mad because nobody could understand what he yeah. was saying all the time. Yeah. But I was like, yeah, I love Japanese animation. Yeah. So I was like, I was like, talk to me, yeah. Kimasai. Yeah. So, so it was like you, they, they gave you songs, you learned the songs. Yeah. I wrote a couple of things. Oh, you they know? let you write. Yeah. When they, when they realized that I could play. Yeah. That, you know, there's the yeah, line of like. you're a player. Yeah. Like you're there, you're playing. Yeah. And so there's yeah. a couple of songs where, you know, it's like, you know, let the bass start the song out, you know. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh, you know, you know some scales. And I'd be like, I know a lot of scales. <laughs> I know all the fucking scales. <laughs> you know? And yeah. um, from that to like just being a little bit more. Letting me be in a, be a little bit more expressive with the bass mm-hmm. as compared to it just being like a quick like play a couple yeah, of yeah and you guys here. are singing harmonies and oh, stuff yeah. too yeah we're singing I'm singing background mm-hmm. you know and uh, it was very short lived due to unforeseen circumstances with the dad being the manager in the band yeah but nonetheless it was also like my Mr Andrews the, watch this my ninth grade year of high school up until he still made fun of me about this until he passed. Mr. Andrews, when I first when I first went to Germany, I was in ninth grade, and I like failed like half of my classes because I was just you're like leaving like high school for like two to three months. Like that's immediate failure because of just attendance. Yeah. But then also the part where I failed algebra, like you you're already gonna fail math. You were all in. 
I mean, at teacher. that point, your dad, like when you went, your, I mean, your dad must have been like, Stephen's going to be a musician. <laughs> He's not going to be a something else. Yeah, it like, was like, this is I'll good. make this up. I'll, I was like, if yeah. I got to go to night school, I got to take classes. I did. But it was like uh, my first trip to Germany and coming back to school, Mr. Andrews, was, I'll never forget. It. He's in the hallway like, ah. Mr. Bruner. And he's like, ah, you're a little German chocolate now. <laughs> he's like, he's like, you're a little German chocolate. You've been to Germany. A little German chocolate. <laughs> so funny. But looking back on that now, on the whole, uh, what's the band called again? No Curfew. No Curfew. Looking back on the whole No Curfew experience. Yeah. What did you learn? I learned, I learned the camaraderie of a band. Mm. I learned to, you know, like trust your friends. I learned to like enjoy being like I I had Kamasi, I had Ronald Cameron, I had all my friends that I played with, but that for me was like that was like this is my band. You know, it's like okay, we're going to, you know, we we you know, we we eat together. We sleep in the same bed. You know, it's That's like That's your first tour ever, right? That first was tour. my f- first that was my first tour. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that was my first tour because that right that was the precursor to suicidal tendencies. After the final break, we hear how Thundercat found the inspiration to start singing his own songs, as well as how his time in thrash metal band Suicidal Tendencies taught him to be fearless on stage. Yeah, yeah. So in between playing jazz and playing fusion and playing, you know, this very sophisticated music, you do no curfew, and then how do you end up in suicidal tendencies? Because uh-huh. let me tell you, those suicidal tendencies, I was always scared of those guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, because I was like, you know, on the Hollywood club scene playing from when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, playing in rock bands and stuff. And um, when those guys came around, I was like, well, they might bash your head in with brass knuckles. And, you know what I mean? And yeah. like, if, if they decide to fuck you up, they're going to fuck you up. And it was always just kind of this feeling like, whoa, like I'd been to a lot of like violent punk rock gigs and yeah. stuff, but it was a different thing. It was like the band was like, they were a gang. Yeah. Mike. It was a gang. It wasn't just like, oh, uh, yeah. we play, you know, we have a distortion pedals. Yeah, no, this was, this was. Another thing. This was the beginning of thrash, punk. This was like. Yeah, yeah. I mean. It started, I think my brother, my older brother had started playing with. I, if I'm not mistaken, it was infectious grooves first. Mm-hmm. My brother suggested, like, you know, hey, call my younger brother to play. And so they were kind of like, uh? Yeah. And I was like, I guess. It was like, you know, so they, they called me to come audition. And I was kind of like, <laughs> I think I, it still happens, too. If I get too excited, like the ADD and everything kicks in, yeah. but there's a part of it where it's like, <laughs> when I was when I was younger, I was yeah. like a, like a, 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 what is that, like a, a tape recorder. Mm-hmm. You play something, I play it. I could play it right back to you, even if I only heard it for a split second. Wow. It was like I could listen to something and have Always. shaped it just from the get. Yeah, yeah. And so, and then that coupled with also kind of knowing the music. Yeah. And I remember Mike Mira was like, "Okay, let's play." Uh, he just picked a tune. He was like, "All right, let's play a uh, possessed escape." Mm. And I knew it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. and he was like, "Oh, you." He was like, "You know the song," and I was like, "I know the song." Yeah. And then we do something, you know, we do try uh, uh, uh you can't bring me down. Yeah. You know, and it'd be like, oh, that's the one I practiced. I'd be like, oh, I practiced that one. So I'll be playing all through it and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I'll yeah. be doing, you know, I well, can play stuff. around with it. Yeah. And he'd be like, all right, you got it. <laughs> he's like, he's like, you got it. You yeah. got it. You got it. And um, 
Yeah, that was that was those years. Yeah. That was that was fun. That yeah, was yeah, crazy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But when I would get on stage, there's yeah. like some little linky kid that kind of yeah. looks like a girl. Yeah, yeah. And I would get like, shut up. <laughs> like, you know, like, you're really? not Rocky George. And I'd be like, I'm not trying to. I'm yeah, not. Rocky plays guitar. So like I would walk on stage and get pelted with like a boot or like really? a beer bottle. Just out the gate. Like yeah. as soon as I walk on stage. Oh. How'd that feel? That was that was fun. Mm-hmm. Like I enjoyed it. And yeah. it was like I felt like because I knew what this energy was. Yeah. And Mike would explain it to me sometimes. He'd be like, look, man, you can't come up here looking scared. You can't come up here and You have to come up there looking yeah, like you're ready to this fucking is, fight. Yeah, <laughs> like you gotta you gotta take this real serious. Yeah. He's like, you know, if you look timid, they're gonna yeah. kick your ass. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you know, if you don't know it, you better act like you know it. Yeah. Because if you don't, it's gonna get worse. Yeah. And, and that- so that's a lesson too. Oh yeah. When I say like we start the tunes, you know, we start the set out. And I think there was one tune that always was kind of like the tell all. It was send me your money. We start playing send me your money because it is like, however you did that. Yeah. It starts the mosh pit. It starts all the shit. Yeah, Once yeah. they start to walking around in yeah. circles and stuff and you can add a little embellishment here and there. Yeah. But then when he said, give me some bass and everything drops out and he's, give me some bass. This was like judge, jury, and executioner, <laughs> no matter what I knew. So yeah. I would have moments where I'd be like, I'd be sitting at home working stuff out. Yeah. I get on stage and then start playing some real, like, and immediate, like, boots, shoes, all kind of, shut up! Right. But that was like, that gave me life. Yeah. I felt alive. Yeah. I did. I felt, I felt the, the ability, the, the, the people were receptive to the playing. And also something like, I, I, I don't know if this resonates with you, but... I had a similar experience when I was like 19, whatever, I joined this punk rock band called Fear. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And that was a different, but, you know, earlier, but very, like, it was violent. Yeah. Shit was violent. Spat on you. Yeah. It was like, it, it was like fights always. Yes. And I was like, they were all like 30 and the singer was just this tough ass dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I was like a little arty little bass player guy, yeah. you know, I like talking heads, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, and, but I learned, like you, so when you talking, I'm sitting listening, it's like, you better pelted. go up there and you better let them know yeah. that they're ready to get a bass upside the yeah, head. Like, they're gonna, you're going to bash their skull in yeah. with their ba- with your bass. Yeah. And that was like, I was like, okay. And I didn't even know I could act it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I could look crazy. You know what I mean? But, but, it was that similar, but I learned so much about what it is to go up there and own it. Yeah. You know what I mean? To get up, you got to yeah. own it. Yes. You got to take it. And I remember it was kind of similar, like I'll see like James Brown playing or something, and that feeling was like, come up on the stage, like, yeah, you're not messing around. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. like, and that's just such a valuable thing to learn, yeah. you know? Whereas like then if they do that, you can go on any stage, anywhere. Oh yeah. No, I wasn't afraid of nothing. Yeah. Would it, is it fair to say that the next evolution for you as an artist is making your own records? It took a minute. It took a minute. I never saw things as mine. Mm-hmm. I never saw things like that. I always saw mm-hmm. it like it belongs out here with everybody. Yeah. I never. That's looked, cool. Yeah, I, I never. And even like when we would play growing up with Kamasi, it would be like, I always had this mindset. I've always wanted to lend myself to whatever the music was yeah, and get out of the way, yeah, you know, and whatever I would have, whatever I would take to it fully be there. Yeah. 
don't separate from it. Don't like all of a sudden, you know, get cold feet. Don't all of a sudden think that it's like, okay. Self-doubt. Yeah, no, I just, I would give myself to the music and wherever I was at. So when it came time to do that, I almost didn't understand what that meant if it weren't for Flying Lotus. Yeah. You know, it was like, spent all this time working on albums and stuff. And and Lotus kind of looks over me and he's like, hey man, where's your album? And I was like, <laughs> you know, and he started kind of shaping and molding, you know, what that was for me with me. And I, everything from singing, like I was never one to use my voice. Not like in the manner where it was like, this is me, this is who I am. And I never felt comfortable doing it. You know, I was not the kind of person that always wanted to be in the front like that. And it was like, uh, uh, in the earlier years of this, none of my friends even knew it was me singing. They just yeah. were like some weird kid from L.A. that was just like singing George Duke covers and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And and for the longest, none of my friends, anytime I would tell my close friends, like even Kamasi and everybody, you know, that's me singing. Yeah. They'd be like, no, it's not. And they'd be like, no, that's, this is my album. Yeah, they're playing this this song. You know, yeah. that's me. I covered George yeah. Duke. That's me singing. Yeah. And it's like, even with the beginning, the beginnings of it, it took me a minute to genuinely wrap my mind around, it's just me. Yeah. You know? And um, it didn't happen until about, I think, uh, mid-20s where I was like, okay. And I would spend time, more and more time recording, just kind of sitting there with myself making music. You know, laughing, telling jokes, and writing songs, and be like, "Oh, you know, what was that?" And I didn't. I started becoming more comfortable with that after Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Can feel the the growth in between that album and the next one. Yeah, I started singing more. You know, I always had this thing in my mind. I always had this thing in my mind. My heroes, my heroes sang. You know, mm-hmm. again, George Duke, Stanley Clark, Tony Williams. I'd be like, man, they, Tony Williams would sing on his album. Yeah. And it'd be funny as hell because you'd be like, you know, Tony would sound funny. And he'd be yeah. like, yeah, man, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and I was like, well, if, if this, is, this is who I'm learning. Jocko would sing on his records. He'd be singing percussive stuff. He'd be yeah. yelling in the mic. Yeah. And I'd be like, you're supposed to use your voice. Yeah. You know, and I, that, that kind of grounded me. And that's what gave me confidence to sing more. So it would be like, I'd be like, no, sing, sing that harmony because that's, Maybe not. Maybe it's not meant to be played on the bass. Sing the harmony, mm-hmm. and that'll make it make more sense because you're hearing mm-hmm. it instead of hearing it closer. To like sometimes when you play the two notes close together, it's hard for a person to hear it, and it yeah. becomes very dissonant. Yeah. But if you play it and you play one note here and you play the octave up, it automatically changes the person's perspective of what those two notes are, mm-hmm. and it becomes one of the sweetest things I've ever heard. Yeah, it's a simple thing, and the feeling becomes completely yeah effects differently yeah and that's that's what my voice would start doing more and i'd be more i'd get more and more comfortable with that yeah 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 you seem real comfortable with singing now like (laughs) (laughs) do you do you um like in in your the way that you studied music as a bass player um and you take it to another level like it's not you know bass is thought of a supportive instrument you know what i mean it's the bottom must never forget this yeah (laughs) well there's a time and a place for everything there's a time to to take front but did you like in your evolution did you start thinking about oh i need to study the craft of songwriting oh yeah like just like saw like the way versus and oh. bridges and oh my you know what God. i mean because i like think of like you know great songwriters like stevie wonder or the beatles or 
you know, everyone has different things. Like for me, like I love David Bowie's songwriting so much, but all these so much different types of yeah. songwriting yeah. from the most simple to the most like evolved with big long intros and outros. Oh yeah. yeah. Like a lot of my, like everybody would always think that I was being very silly or ironic when I was like, you know, Kenny Loggins and Michael McDonald. Mm. Flying Lotus kind of tried to instill in me when we first started on doing this was being honest in the music. And a lot of the time, the honesty doesn't have to do with like, it's not always a fantasy thing. And so I would look for that in the music a lot of the time. Yeah. I would look for that in the songwriting. Yeah. And, you know, growing up in the 90s, for me, it was like, you know, you had amazing songwriters. You did. You had everybody from Dave Grohl to Alanis said You had this stuff going on. As for me, as for the child, even Corn to like, you know, like there's different broad stuff. But like, like you were saying, going from Stevie Wonder and looking in this direction, looking back, mm. I would think about it. And I would I would sit here and when I would get to like Michael McDonald and Kenny, Gino Vanelli, there was this feeling that was overwhelming hearing these this manner of songwriter. Yeah. And it was like, I always used to sit and listen to Kenny. I'm like, goodness, this guy sounds like he's, he's experienced a lot of like Waylon Jennings. Mm -hmm. And like, I'd be like, these guys are wearing their heart on their sleeve. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, it's like storytelling. Yeah. You know? Like, like I remember Charlie Parker he talked about, he loved country music. Yeah. And they're like, you love, and it's like, it's stories, man. Yes. The stories. I want to hear the stories. Yeah. And Monk, you know, yeah. like every, every, I don't know if you ever, seen it you've probably seen it but like this interviewer asked monk do you uh you know what music don't you, you know what music do you like yeah and he said i like all music yeah and the guy says but even country music yeah I've seen and, this. and I've monk seen this. goes what part of what i just said didn't you understand yeah, yeah i've seen this yeah it's beautiful you yeah. know and I, I but but rare yeah really rare i think you know rare because music and even without subconsciously the way music is marketed to us oh yeah this music's for you this music yeah. is for you and yeah. and you don't like those people over there. So, yeah. And when you're able to like, like all music, it gives you insight into all people too. Yeah, and like man. the possibility of hope and communication yes. and bridge building amongst human beings. Yes. Yes. You know, and that's, that's where my lyrics would kind of lie with me. Like one of my favorite tunes was heart to heart. Mm. With Kenny Loggins. And I was like, that's a guy that's seen a lot. Yeah. You know, and I would always and have knows this, that he's been living, being full of shit and coming to terms with it, you know? Eesh. And yeah. it's like the hook of that song, I get to screaming it. And I was, I'm like. Beautiful. That, I, it's like, was he making up? Was he trying to apologize? Was he, did he, was he coming to terms with like, I'm like, yeah. what is this? Yeah. And I'm like, is that, that's his real life. He's pouring his, his blood into these songs. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and. I don't know, somewhere in there from that, it was like, pour your heart into what you're saying in these things. If you're going to say something, you know. Yeah, incredible. Okay, so I got two questions for you. Okay. One is, we've talked about, you know, from a little boy playing Scratch on your Billy Cobham record under the threat of extreme punishment from oh, your father. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for you and Ronald. All the way through, like being sent off into a vulnerable situation, and also like, like I always think you're putting yourselves in these musical situations where you're vulnerable. Oh yeah, you have to have confidence, and nobody has confidence all the time, no matter how much you have. And in all these situations, like, were there what was uh, the things that were most daunting or challenging or scary? Like, were there were times you were scared. Life, life in between the reality of the the things going on around in it. It, it's 
I mean, I could talk about the part of, you know, you know, growing up and then being an alcoholic, you know, like these things that are like they go. Life has a way of doing this where it a lot of people love the idea of it being like this cinematic thing. But there's a part of it where it's like the pain is also coincides with the good parts. So even if it's it's like whatever it was for me, it was almost like uh, it went hand in hand with what was what would be happening at the time. So mm-hmm. like again, like uh, I mean, I haven't talked about like the, you know the part where my best friend dies from you know overdosing and yeah. you know when we were, when we were in twenties that literally it kind of inspired the album Apocalypse where I'm singing more. You know, like that's the double edged sort of it where it's like oh I feel more comfortable singing, but it's like the terms under which that came about. It almost like it almost like uh, caused it to like it came up like vomit. Yeah, you know, like my best friend dying, leaving me, and then going home and dying, and then I'm still writing music through this, and I'm drinking through it, and I'm just kind of like, oh, you know, I'm like band aid on a bullet wound, you know, and um, but life, the life that goes along with it, it's like you know, there's always these things like you know, there's sayings like your talent makes room for you and stuff like that. But your life around this is not is not the room that gets made. Your your life will expand to meet what it is, but that doesn't mean that it always fits. Yeah. That's part of the story. That's not a cool part of the story. You know, it's not like, oh, you know, it's like, but this happen these kinds of things, these moments in life, they happen and they just coincide with what it is. And you learn to you learn to realize like that's normal. That's normal. The pain of it is part of it, you know, and, and not every part of it is like a part that c- turns into a cool song, you know. And, what I mean? Yeah, and it doesn't, <laughs> and that doesn't also doesn't mean that grief you is can't be, be carrying it around like a gorilla on your back. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's it, know, it'll kill you. It, it it'll overtake yeah. you, and which is almost has a couple occasions. Yeah, and I think that uh. The, the the part that made it's like again the, the uh, choosing to do this my life it was like it's almost like i feel like this was actually my first love and it was like realizing coming to this this i this moment realizing it's a decision it was always a decision to keep choosing you're choosing this you're choosing it and there's all kind of stuff in there yeah that would be complications and pieces of the story that could just take you out yeah, and you just know. trying to make sense of stuff yes. that's so painful. Like, how yeah. do you, like, this hurts so bad. How do I, like, no one gave me a guidebook for this. That kind of thing to, like, uh, substance abuse to yeah. the funny, like, if you, <laughs> this is a funny, this was, this is always a funny one. Having a girlfriend and being a musician is immediately, <laughs> immediately, like, complicated. Yeah. You know, you meet her parents and then their dad just looks at you and is like, oh, he's going to be broke forever. Yeah, yeah. And or crazy <laughs> yeah. and or gone. Yeah, exactly. So there's immediately, like, sweetie, get away from it. Yeah. But the part where you're choosing, you're choosing, the music will always be part of your choice, you know? And that, that will always be happy or sad. It'll always be good or bad. You're there with it. It will always be part of your narrative. Yeah. And that's why it always is like, oh, this is like, this is, because the part for me where like I'm on stage smiling and enjoying, it kind of, it feels trans, I don't know if the word is transverse. It feels like I don't, I, I see the line from when I was a 10 year old to where I'm in my 30s now. 
And I'm like, I'm looking over and I'm looking at a couple, you know, there's my friends. Hey, 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 Justin. <laughs> hey, Dennis. You know, like, yeah. and the one, two, three. It's yeah. Like, you know. I know the feeling, man. I mean, I'm turning, I'm going to be playing a gig Sunday and I'm turning 60. Ooh. I'm looking over like I met Anthony when I was 15. Legend. Legend. When I was dude. 15. Yeah. I've been like running around with this dude. We were running in the street like we were little thieves. <laughs> like, it's crazy. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, psh, no one, we were picked the last likely to ever do anything and all of a loss. Like, I was like, it, like, it was, and I, sorry, I can't help but think about these things. It's about you, not me, but like, it was me and Anthony and Hillel, like, yeah. three of us. Like, we were inseparable. Like, you know what I mean? And yeah. talk about like loving your friends. Like, I had relationships with them that I never had with my real family, that yeah. I never had with a woman. Like, I loved them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, and then he's dead one day. You like know a, what I like mean? A, like, like, a, like, like a match. We're in our early 20s and he's dead. Out of here. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know. Um, rest his soul. Yeah, right? yeah, bless his soul. Bless, bless every, you know, all our loved ones that are, are gone. Yeah, I guess the thing about being lucky enough to get older, you start knowing more dead people, and you're lucky to know them. Yeah, you know, it's not always meant to be your trauma. It's meant to be like, I'm, I, I'm thankful for the time I got with him. That's what. That's that's the lesson, and that's also like I'm thankful for this moment right now. Hey, <laughs> so one more question. If you have any advice for young musicians who are starting out or have dreams, yearning, you know what I mean? Young musicians of any kind, um, what is it? Hmm. Uh, don't be a little bitch. No, I'm just kidding. That's, that's, <laughs> it's so funny that you said that because, anyways, I'll spare you. <laughs> no, no, you. No, Anthony told me the other day, he's like, I got this new philosophy in life. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, you know, he goes, I really think, I, you know, it's like he's like, got to figure it out like a credo to hold on to. Yeah. I'm like, what is it? He goes, don't be a bitch. Ah. Yeah. But anyways, but yeah. <laughs> don't be a little bitch. <laughs> yeah. You do what you say you're going to do. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, uh, pursue it. If you're going to pursue it, pursue it to the fullest. And it, it's, it's, uh, it's full of all kinds of hardships. It's full of all kinds of good moments, but it's about where your heart is when you're doing it too, and how important it is to take care of your heart while you're doing this. Because a lot of the times, like the idea of success, the idea of the the fear of flying, the the, the fear of sinking, the you know, the the fight or flight. You we do all kinds of things to make up for what you feel you do or don't have. But always knowing where you're at and knowing that you're still forging ahead is more important than anything. And that's all you can afford yourself a lot of the time. Yeah. You know, between the survival and the idea of what you think it's supposed to be for you based on what you see in front of you. Like, you, you'll see something and you'll be like, I want this. And the reality is it's not, you're not meant to have that. That's what this person's was. That's what theirs was. Yours is different. And knowing that and a, a, accepting that, that it's going to be different for you and knowing that you keep knowing that you're choosing the right thing because the choice that you decide, which is that making music, it's through the hardships, it's through the fun times, it's through the worst times, it's through the, it's complicated. It's all of that. But if you're choosing to do it, don't be a little bitch. <laughs> Just get into it. Get into it. 
You know, don't be afraid to not know something. Yeah. You know, a lot of the time it's like this thing, like you were yeah. saying, where it's like this, like, you know, this shunning of what you don't know and this. It's like, yeah, you know, what you're scared of or what you're not. Walk into it scared. Yeah. Walk into it because you're not supposed to know. You're not supposed to know everything. Yeah. And sometimes you have to like go and fail. Yeah. Like hard. go and embarrass yourself and fail in front of people and be like, oh, I better work on that if I want to do it again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's, life has a way of being complicated on its own, too. So Yeah, it does. All right. We're good. Thank you so much, dude. My man. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Thundercat. As always, thank you for listening to This Little Light, a podcast that exists to benefit the Silver Lake Conservatory of Music, a nonprofit music school based in Los Angeles, California. This Little Light is a presentation of Cadence 13, executive produced by Flea, Chris Corcoran of Cadence 13, and parallel partners Ken Cow, Nicholas Gonda, and me, Jocelyn Florence. The show's lead producer is Julia Smith, with engineering by Ryan Martz. Our show's original theme music is composed by Flea himself. Special thanks to Chris LaSalle, Alex Barron, Ian Turner, and Jennifer Ray and her entire team at the Silver Lake Conservatory of Music. Listen and follow This Little Light, a presentation of Cadence 13, on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.